Hello, Wellington. Welcome to B-Side Stories on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. My name's Sadie. Um, I'm here with Perrine today and we've got a... (laughs) Hi, Perrine. Coming out of the 27 degree heat out there. Yeah, my God. (laughs) How hard was it to come into the studio rather than pull out your togs? (laughs) I reckon. It's beautiful. But we've got um, a pretty exciting hour lined up here too. Yes, we're happy to be here. Literary day today. Because why not? That's that like summer reading kind of um, vibe, but maybe, <laughs> maybe like even more fun than reading. They're talking about reading and how great it is. <laughs> um, and so our first guest today is Francis Cook. He is um, co-editor of Starling Journal, and we'll just crack into that in a moment. But who have you got coming up after that? So staying with the whole children's literature theme. Um, oh, not quite children's, I don't think, but we'll get on to that. <laughs> sure, okay. By young people, isn't it? Starling? Young people. Yes. <laughs> young people. I'm not sure if 24-year-olds count themselves as uh, children. But... Oh, whoops. Sorry, 24-year-olds. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> um, mine's about children. <laughs> For okay. children. Um, we've got Susan Paris coming in, who is one of the editors of Annual and Annual 2 which are books for for kids. So we'll talk about that more later on. Cool. All right. Here we are. Kia ora, Francis. Kia ora, Oh, can we have a, maybe a bit more volume there? How's it? Yes, sounding good? Yes, yes. thanks. Um, so you are with... Um, Louise Wallace. Louise Wallace, yes. the co-editors of Starling Journal. Yes, um, new writing from young New Zealanders. Yes, although the children thing. Um, I think <laughs> Let's address the children thing. The youngest, <laughs> so so it is, the journal is publishing, write, publishes writing by any New Zealand writer under 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, the youngest writer we have published to date is 12. So right. I feel like that fits comfortably within. Legally yeah, a yeah, child. Yeah. We would say, <laughs> say children and then up to 24. So yes. inclusive of children and probably people who have moved past the term child, even past the term <laughs> young adult into, you know, burgeoning adult. Mm. Um, young writer is our catch-all. Yep. Yeah, young writers, um, young New Zealanders. Young New Zealanders. Yes. So um, how and when was Starling started and why? And why? Um, so Starling was an idea that Louise and I had been talking about probably for about three or four years before we launched in um, 2016. Um, It was Louise's brainchild. Um, She had, I think, really been thinking about the fact that when you are a young writer in New Zealand, we have have an incredible literary scene. We have a huge, like, really wonderful proliferation of journals um, and other opportunities for people to be published. But if you are under 25, if you are just emerging um, as a writer, there was no clear forum, especially in terms of a journal, where you could see those new writers together, a platform just for emerging young voices. Right. Um, 
And it often meant that if you were a young writer, and me and her, when we were sort of first talking about this, were you know probably only just over the age of 25, because <laughs> um, we met um, at the IIML MA course up at Victoria. International. International Institute of Modern Letters, yes. um, commonly known as the Bill Manhire course. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were, well, I think I was 25 when I was doing that course. She right. would have been 24, I think. Um, so we'd, we'd just finished that course when we started talking a little bit about this. And we knew that it was, you know, for a lot of the journals in New Zealand, if you wanted to be published, you were competing with much more established mm. names to get into those journals. Um, and occasionally, you know, there's a risk that your name might be lost as people flick through to see the latest Jenny Bornholt poem or the latest Hera Lindsay Bird, although speaking of young writers, um, <laughs> very clearly carving their name out in, um, you know, a very short matter of time, yeah. Hera Lindsay Bird. Um, so the idea was that we wanted to create that journal. We felt that there was a lack of that. And as ever, if, if we weren't going to do it, who was. So um, for about three or four years, we talked about it. um, And then Louise was um, the Robbie Burns um, fellow in the University of Otago in 2015. And so she set aside part of her time when she actually had a year that she could dedicate to her own writing. She set aside some of that time to be able to plan build a website and really create the the structure of what Starling would be so that we were able to um, first put out the call for submissions in 2015 and launch our first issue in January 2016. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I mean, you know, you get given money to do your own writing and then you selflessly toil away on a website for... Yes, young writers. Um, that that speaks to who Louise is as a person, really. Oh. <laughs> um, I cannot say enough good things about her. She is a wonderful person to co-edit a journal with. <laughs> That's great. Um, so um, you've got this kind of structure in Starling. Mm-hmm. Tell us how Starling Birds Fly and how that's inspired you, if you would. <laughs> um, how Starling Birds Fly. They they do. I mean, the name was something that came about just through tossing around ideas. And then Louise sent me an email one day and said, Starling. And I said, yes, that's great. And that was our name. So I don't know if we talked about the nature of Starlings. It just seemed like the right name. But yes, Starlings do fly in a murmuration often together. If you ever want to see, you know, a lovely picture of clusters of starlings flying together, it is a beautiful thing and hopefully mirrored in the clusters of writers that we're able to put together every six months with a new issue. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've taken your question very literally and you may have meant it figuratively. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was... um... It seemed like you were inspired in the way that there was one lead um, and you have one Hmm. more established. I did read this somewhere. I didn't make it up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that good. (laughs) Yes. um, So we do have a setup in the issue. We always um, have one established writer who is included in the issue and heads up the start of the issue before Mm we move into our full group of new young writers and their work. Um, We also always feature an interview with an established writer um, from one discipline or the other. We've included, you know, within that, journalists, art historians, um, as well as, you know, prose and poetry writers. 
Um, and that is that is how each issue is is structured, sort of bookended by um, an established author, but with the real um, the real deal um, coming in between that, so that you can experience and read all these authors who you may not have heard of, yeah. um, but who hopefully this will be only the first place yeah. you hear of them before they turn up everywhere, which is something that's already kind of happening, yeah. which is wonderful. So, the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've got some um, poems that you're going to read a couple to us today. Yes. Um, so we could just do one now? And one a bit yeah, later on. um, with apologies to the authors who, you know, if you, if you want the real deal, come along to a live Starling event, hear them read it themselves, but... In a pale facsimile. Um, here's, here's a poem from our latest issue. This is by Sharon Lamb, who's appeared in both issues one and four of Starling. Um, this is one of her poems from the latest issue. It's called Everyone at the Pool Looked Like Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor was doing freestyle. Ewan McGregor was trying to do freestyle. Lifeguard Ewan McGregor watched over all the Ewan McGregors and I while Ewan McGregor snuck into the sauna without a wristband. I shared my lane with two Ewan McGregors. One had red speedos and one had teal goggles. We swam up and down the lane, Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor and I. We fell into a rhythm, swimming equal distances apart. I grew attached to my two Ewan McGregors. How could I not? The three of us made a rectangular volume of water our own. Ewan McGregor was tired and stopped. Ewan McGregor was tired and stopped. I also stopped. How could I not? Catching our breath side by side. Ewan McGregor, Ewan McGregor and I. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I I mean, that was an admirable reading. I did hear Sharon Lamb read it at the Lit Crawl? Yes, Sharon was one of our readers um, yep, at the recent Lit Crawl live event. Yeah, but I wouldn't say, you, and she read it wonderfully, but I wouldn't she say did. you butchered it, Francis. That, so. is, that is good. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, this focus on younger writers, you've got yeah. a program called Starling in Schools? Yes. Um, so that is really to promote Starling um, to school teachers to make sure that there is more awareness that this journal is out there in schools. We do receive um, a pretty good number of submissions from high school students already, but we just want to make sure that teachers are aware of it, both as a um, resource to direct their students to, so that students can read new writing by people their own age and consider submitting, and also so that they can potentially use those poems as a teaching resource, because... One thing Louise and I have talked about a lot is our experience in school and how you tend to get given um, your Dennis Glovers and your your T.S. Eliot. Oh my God. Um, uh, Totally relevant stuff in my life at the time. Yeah, it was Sylvia Plath at my high school, which, you know, wasn't bad. Like, we had a great time. Um, But there is also something to be said for. As a teach, as a you know, for English teachers being aware that there is this new writing being produced right now by people either the same age or very close in age to your students, 
and being able to show them that as an example of what poetry is, because it is very easy, I think, especially when you're in high school, to think of poetry as something that happens somewhere else or that mm. is done by someone other than you. Um, not that there's necessarily a shortage of um, teenagers writing poetry. It's a great thing to do when you're a teenager, but it's also great to be able to see other people your own age doing it so that you have a different range of models um, for what a poet is and what a poem does. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And um, so you're about to launch, well, next month you'll be launching your fifth issue. Issue five in January. That um, is, God, that next, is month. next month. Oh my God. <laughs> Perrine. <laughs> um, yes. Enough profanity on air. <laughs> Correct. Issue five next yeah. month. And you have themes for each issue? Um, the themes tend to sort of fall together naturally. Um, right. We pick the best of the submissions that we receive, and then once we have picked the best, we look through them and try and work out if there are any themes that rise naturally to the surface. And there tends to be. Um, okay. Just naturally you group, uh, you know, 16 to 20 writers together, there will be some common themes that float through. Um, one one issue, there was a lot of poems about machines in one way or another. Um, one issue, there was there was a lot of poems about war. You know, they can be fairly loose themes, but they're they're normally there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, at the moment, you and Lou or Louise—I Louise. don't know what to call her—whichever <laughs> <laughs> works. I think. Um, you are reading through. Lots of submissions, but how many are we talking? Um, we normally get around 100 to 120 submissions per issue. Um, we're on the on the upper end of that this this issue, which is great. Um, so yeah, we're both um, reading through. We do a very sort of closed process. We don't talk to each other about what our views are on the different pieces while we're reading. So oh we, yes, yeah, yeah. We go away and um, write up our notes on each piece, um, and then come together and compare notes and fight frequently um, for the pieces that we feel most strongly about, um, which is actually a really enjoyable process. One thing we sort of already knew from being friends and talking about writing a lot is that we are both very good arguers with each other. Like, no one's feelings get hurt, but we will fight vigilantly for you know, what we believe to be the best art. Um, and just so everyone listening knows, Francis is sitting here with his fin- his fist clenched. That's how serious he is about this fighting. <laughs> Very, I mean, what more serious thing to fight about than literature, honestly. Good point, good point. Um, and so in your issue this, um, your issue next month, yes. um, you have Creative New Zealand funding for the first time. Yes, um, this is a very exciting development in the world of Starling. Um, yeah. We have, for the, yeah, for the first time, received funding from Creative New Zealand for both issue five and issue six, the two 2018 issues. Um, and this means that for the first time we will be able to pay our authors because Starling is produced without any other external funding. Um, we don't have any advertising or any other source of revenue. Um, so we are exceedingly grateful to Creative New Zealand um, for supporting Starling and supporting Starling's writers. Um, so yeah, we are very, very pleased that we will now be able to um, 
offer payment to mm. the authors who we select for publication, um, which is an important acknowledgement that art is something that does deserve recompense. There is a, a huge amount of publication that happens both in New Zealand and, and worldwide where artists are expected to do things for for the exposure or because, oh, you're an artist, so you do this because you love it. It's not real. There, there is an implication in that that it's not real work worthy of, you know, recognition. Mm, um, and, and that's in, in a financial sense. Um, it's, it's worthy of recognition in every other sense as well, but we're very pleased that we're able to... Um, to add that to what Starling does, because it is important to pay writers, mm. and we want we want to be a part of that. Yeah, um, and walk that particular talk. <laughs> Thank um, you, CNZ, <laughs> for helping us walk. <laughs> um, or fly, maybe. Indeed, <laughs> yes. Um, so maybe time for another wee yes, reading. Absolutely. Um, this next poem is by Sophie Van Wadenberg. Um, Sophie's an Auckland writer. Um, she's been in all four of our issues. Um, all, f- all four? No, she, she and across a range of different disciplines. She's yeah. written poems. She's written um, an autobiographical prose piece that was in issue three. Um, and there's a lovely sense in which she, she is one of the writers who writes very much, so far as I know, because I do not know Sophie personally, from life. Um, if you read sort of across the poems she's had in different issues. She travelled to London. Um, she also travelled to New York, and you can sort of plot her her, her, um, her, her journeys um, by piecing together the little bits of autobiographical information she drops into, into her different bits of writing, um, even though she will also sometimes write from a completely non-autobiographical place. She actually wrote the first poem that opened our very first issue, which was about... Um, the teenagers who discovered cave paintings um, in France. Um, however, this is not that poem. This is the <laughs> poem from the most recent issue. Um, it is, I presume, coming from a place of autobiography, although I would leave final confirmation of that up to Sophie. And it's called Red Brick Stamford Street. At 8.38, when we Skype our mothers, the sun has been down for days. And through cold lips, we talk all the way home about the supermarket fruit, how avocados from Sainsbury's are always ready to eat. We put our feet up bare on top of heaters and press toes against toes through cardboard walls. So maybe the sun has not been down for days, we say, but this is my longest night. We use the words we hardly use except to our mothers the words that pull our mouths back into shape. Thank you. Scared. We whistle consonants through teeth and flick our local vowels home, and we breathe like the oceans we know. And when only our mothers are looking, we say, Look, here. Here is the chain ripped from the anchor. Look, here are the leaving home bruises. Here is where it hurts, like my puzzle head is missing a piece. Life is good, I am lucky, I am cold, and my walls are bare. We are cold without mothers, though at our age we should keep ourselves warm. Put some socks on. Look, Mum, at my bottom teeth. Tell me, are they getting worse? Can you see across this distance? Can you hear the girl in room A? If I kissed my bedroom walls, 
everyone in the whole building would feel how bad I am at kissing. The eight spoilt girls in apartment 69, we are not joking, say they all like their avocados wrong. One of them strips hers bare, all at once like she is peeling an egg, and slices down to her fingers with a butter knife, and another only eats hers pepper black with a button of sunrise yolk, and another leaves her knife out green and wet on the kitchen table. She leaves her sesame seeds on the lino, portents shivering at the open door, saying, look, here, I told you there were ghosts. At night when we tell our mothers of these London avocados, twins cradled in dark forest cardboard, we realise how odd we all are, how unfurnished, how children. Finally, we show them the gum knotted into the carpet of our recycled bedrooms, how nobody has quite cared for us, how we are home soon and past mattering. Very cool. Yes. Um, takes you right there, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> um, I, yeah, Sophie is, I think, a really vivid poet. Um, and the the immediate hook of, you know, the, the image that sticks with you in that poem, what sticks with me is the avocados, but you extrapolate that out to all the other things that she's talking about, the dislocation of being away from home for, you know, the first time for a long period of time. Homesickness without explicitly mentioning mm. homesickness. The first sort of steps when you are away from home and finding yourself as an adult, but still needing your parents sometimes and acknowledging that need, um, which is, yeah, is, is a thing. Um, and a thing that you don't always see people writing about when mm. they're past 25. So it's, an, you know, these are topics that recur again and again in the writing that we publish. Mm. And it's really good because you don't always see other writing about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly not with the immediacy of some of our authors. Yeah. yeah. Do you find, um, do you tend to get um, quite a, like the demographic of people who are putting in writing to you, to the journal? Yeah. Is it mostly like an urban kind of crowd or is it quite spread in, in all kinds of ways? Um, it can be quite spread out. We are always, you know, it is one of those things that we keep an eye on, where everyone is coming to us from, where they disclose, where they're coming from, because a lot of submissions we simply receive via email. Um, I think there is a natural clustering often around university cities, certainly mm -hmm. where the authors are either university students or just post-studying. Um, they have often come to Wellington or Auckland um, or Otago from wherever their hometown might be um, and been a part either of a creative writing course or of some part of the literary scene, and that's where they've developed and honed their, their mm. writing. Um, but that does not mean that they are not rooted back in... in um, their hometowns, Louise in particular, is, you know, born and raised in Gisborne, and so she is always very keen to ensure the representation of writers from outside of the the, the cities, mm. um, I guess. Those cities are a great place for it all to flourish. <laughs> Indeed. Like at Lit Crawl last like month. at Lit Crawl last <laughs> month. Yes. Um, so Starling had an event at Lit Crawl, These mm -hmm. Wild Nights. Yes. Did it feel wild? It did feel wild. Um, <laughs> lit crawl kind of always does. Like it's, 
it is one of those events that um, Claire Maybe and Andrew Laking put it together, and they, they've now run it for four years in a row um, every second weekend in November. And the idea is mm. basically... Um, to have a huge range of literary events happening all at once, all over central Wellington. Mm-hmm. Um, so at any given moment on, um, on the Saturday night that they hold Lit Crawl each year, um, there will be, you know, six or seven events happening simultaneously across the city and you can pick which one to go to, often, often a very difficult choice. Mm. Um, and sort of spend the night you know, walking through the city, finding different events. Sometimes you turn up at one and it's so packed out that you can't get in, so you go to another one that's nearby and just discover something you didn't even know you were going to find that night. Um, It really is one of the sort of really special events that's very quickly become just something that everyone in the sort of Wellington writing and reading community really looks forward to and gets excited about. Like, even just the launch of the program is a big deal. Like, <laughs> I went along to it this year and Justin Lester launched it and Claire stood up and read out all of the events that were going to be happening and everyone was immediately just getting very excited. Like, um, there's going to be a session about Hamilton. I want to go to that. Um, Keeping with the um, non I don't know if I can even call Hamilton not a major urban centre because I guess it is now. I will. I will say that the tagline <laughs> that came up. came with the Hamilton reading was the best thing about Auckland is it's close to Hamilton. Right. Um, something that I have some empathy for. I'm, I'm I am a Hamilton fan, and you know, pushing an electoral session that was not our one. The Hamilton session was fantastic and did include one of uh, an author that has been published in Starling, um, Issa Ranapiri, um, who is. Hamilton, Hamilton, born and bred, um, had previously been published in the Hamilton um, uh, University of Waikato Creative Writing Journal, um, the name of which is escaping me. Um, before he was, before they, sorry, were published in Starling. Um, yeah, and and is a really, really fantastic poet. Every time I hear their work, I'm just really excited to hear more. So it was great to see them reading about Hamilton. Um, alongside other great Hamilton um, writers and notable personalities. <laughs> um, sadly, we are pretty much out of time. So as much as I'd like to delve into the Hamilton session and the yes. Starling session, yes. um, but I think people just need to come to Lit Crawl themselves next year if they haven't checked it out yet. It's Correct. Yeah, I was, as someone who doesn't normally read poetry, I was delighted by how kind of easy to access and kind of fun but also thought-provoking the um, the Starling session was. Mm. Um, but just a bit of, um, you know, can you tell people how they can get access to Starling journals and um, anything, you know? Of course. Those um, w- <laughs> wrap-up kind of things. Yeah, so Starling, Starling is an online journal, so you can read everything from all of our issues at um, starlingmag.com. Um, you can also get updates on everything that's going on as well as just updates about what our writers are doing and any opportunities for young writers at our social media pages. We're on Facebook as facebook.com slash starlingmag and on Twitter as at starlingmag. Um, yeah, and that that's really just go and read the issue. Like, it's... The writers are really amazing every every time we put together an issue i'm 
excited and slightly humbled by the the quality of the work that people send us and how exciting it is to have the opportunity to publish it. So starlingmag.com, it's, yeah. All right. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, we've run out of time for the other readings, but um, let me just assure you there's heaps of awesome stuff in there that Francis was hoping to read and I'm cruelly not letting him. (laughs) Um, So thanks so much, Francis, for coming in and to you and Lou for the awesome um, work you're doing in encouraging young New Zealanders to write and submit and be published and get paid for it even.